Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that a child has new skin thanks to genetically modified stem cells. There's a young boy with a rare illness whose name I'm not even going to try and pronounce, epidermolysis bullosa, which means that 80% of his skin has been damaged, and doctors treated all this like 80% skin damage using transplants from genetically modified stem cells. They got the cells from the kid, they processed them and put the intact gene back into the stem cells, put him back on the kid, and two years later, he has no scars in the areas that are transplanted. And the little kid's back in school again, which is totally cool, because right now I take my stem cells and I have them taken out, and amplified and cleaned and made stronger and then re-injected into all sorts of crazy areas. If you're at the Bulletproof Conference, you would have seen a video of one of those crazy areas, but I've had them in my brain, all these places. But right now, I just put my own stem cells back in. But what if I could take my stem cells out, I could upgrade them and put them back in? All right, that'd be kind of cool. And what if you could do the same thing, both for disease or just because you wanted to look like you were 25 when you were 85? This is what's coming and it's awesome, and this has never happened in recorded history, which is really, really cool. All right, before we get into the rest of the show, did you know that Bulletproof makes three different roasts of our lab-tested coffee? The big innovation in coffee uh, that kind of kicked this all off wasn't just putting butter and brain octane in coffee, it was making coffee without the jitter and crash. And we changed coffee processing in Central America and worked with a guy who trains the coffee judges for the Cup of Excellence, which is like the world series of coffee tasting. And we worked on three different roasts. So there's a dark roast that doesn't taste like burned crap. It actually tastes really good. I told them it wasn't possible and they proved me wrong. There's the mentalist, which is a medium dark roast, which I absolutely love on my espresso machine. And there's the original, which is a medium roast. So you can get a three pack that lets you try all three of these. They're all Rainforest Alliance certified. They're all lab tested and they all use our custom process with equipment that we installed in Colombia and Guatemala in order to make coffee that is super clean, that makes you feel amazing. So try all three when you order from bulletproof.com and you'll find the one that's best for you or you can just use different ones on different days depending on how dark you're feeling. All right, today's guest has an amazing name because his name is Jamie Smart. So how could I not have him on the show? He's a Sunday Times bestselling author of books like Results, Think Less, Achieve More, and another one called Clarity, Clear Mind, Better Performance, Bigger Results. Since one of the biggest things you can do to increase your performance is actually have a brain that works, have mental clarity, uh, that's why I want to have him on the show to talk about this. So Jamie, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Dave. All right. Let's talk about your backgrounds. You've been a coach for big companies for over a decade talking about mental clarity. Like you're paying your employees a lot of money uh, and all this. And if they're walking around in a fog, you're not getting your money's worth and they're probably not happy either. What led you to work with organizations on that specific problem? Well, so my, my own background was working in organizations as an employee, as a project manager, uh, running large projects. And I got really, really fascinated because 
we had an old saying, which is, it's never a technology problem. It's always a people problem. And even when it looks like a technology problem, it's still a people problem. Hold, and, on, hold on a second, Jamie. I come from technology, and I've done project management, and I've used Microsoft Project. And you are still telling me it's never a technology problem. Well, I'm not saying there are never <laughs> bugs and software just, issues and that sort of thing. But you know what I mean, man. It's... it's an, and it was interesting because I, I became fascinated with that, like with the mind and how does the mind work and uh, what makes that difference. So I, as a project manager, I went on a personal development course. This is back in 1998. And it's really funny, Dave, my whole life, like I was clever and everything, but I didn't know anything about beliefs, limiting beliefs, anything like that. I just thought, I'm an employment guy and I had friends who were, you know, running their own businesses and stuff. And I, I just thought it was, it sounds really silly now, but it, I just thought it was, they had, you know, run your own business DNA and I had employee DNA. Anyway, I went on this course, quit my job within two weeks and uh, started contracting and that sort of thing and learning about the mind. So I became fascinated with it. And I started out uh, exploring NLP, neurolinguistic programming. Um, became an NLP trainer, built an NLP training company and a product development company, all that sort of stuff. And then in 2007, I read Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek, and I was like, that's where I've been going wrong. Got to get my business running on autopilot so I can go around the world and have adventures. So we did that, got the business. I went for my first mini retirement in 2008. I went for a three-month ski holiday, and after six weeks, I was miserable. And I was like, what the hell? That's, I'm, I'm supposed to have white light shining out of all my orifices. I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be beyond happy. What's, what's wrong with this picture? And so I kind of went. And, and the problem I had, Dave, was as far as I was concerned, I had the best psychological technology going. So what was going on here? So I went back to the drawing board. And... I hired a coach for a year and he started pointing me in the direction of a deeper understanding of how the mind works. And at first I was like, yeah, this is just another belief system and that sort of thing. But I, I started having a couple of insights. The first insight I had, um, by insight, I mean realization, you know, kind of waking up to something that's already true. And we've all had those. Um, the first insight I had was that Everything that I'd been looking for outside of myself was already there within me. And I mean, we know this kind of from spiritual traditions and that sort of thing, but I kind of, I knew it intellectually, but I didn't know it. And so that really right away, that did something for me that like changed my perspective. Second insight I had a couple of months later was because I like I work a lot coaching people and, and training coaches and therapists and that sort of thing. I realized that the fact that someone can even see or hear or perceive means that they have a source of clarity and well-being and mental health within them. Now, that was an absolute game changer for me as a coach right there because like if you if you stop and think about it for a moment, it's kind of obvious. Like little babies aren't born needing therapy; they're uh, they already work really well psychologically. So it it's obviously something that we're adding in over time that's getting in the way of that, getting in the way of the mind's self-correcting nature. So that was the second insight. 
The third one, and this was the game changer for me, came about six months in because up till then, I thought this stuff I was exploring was kind of interesting and a new approach or belief system. But I suddenly realized, oh, this is principles. You see, the field of psychology at the moment is in a it's in a pre-principle state, like uh, medicine before germ theory, or uh, 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 physics before Newton and thermodynamics and all that stuff. So there's no broad agreement on how the mind works across the field of psychology. So you've got like 700 different schools of talk therapy with theories and heuristics and all that sort of stuff. It's a field that it's, it's still in its infancy. Uh, what I suddenly realized was, oh, this understanding of the mind is to psychology what the discovery of germs was to medicine or the discovery of the link between germs and infection. So right there, I literally called up my, uh, my business partner that day and said, we're moving away from the field of NLP. There's principles behind psychology. Because when I had that insight, Dave, what I saw was that like it is kind of it's very very relevant actually to the the world we're living in at the moment with the amazing technology we've got with social media and phones and everything like this if we look back 200 years to the the germ revolution there was a humanitarian crisis because the industrial revolution which brought such amazing stuff meant tons of people were moving to cities they had these huge hospitals and all of a sudden the misunderstanding of germs led to a, a humanitarian crisis well it looks to me like we're in the same situation today. We've got these amazing technologies which make incredible things possible, but because we have a lack of understanding of how the mind works, we're facing increasing levels of stress, anxiety, depression. Uh, the reports here in the UK came out just like a week ago saying mental health issues are costing the economy like 99 billion pounds a year, like that's like, I don't know, over a hundred, a hundred billion dollars anyway. It's a, uh, it's kind of a tipping point. So that, that realization that these are principles for psychology, that's what led me to do this work. Now you talk about principles of psychology and there's 700 schools of talk therapy and all of these, uh, all these different perspectives. And I, I, we've probably read a lot of the similar books. And I've ended up with some principles that I use uh, in my work. What are the core principles that you're using in your work that the people listening would want to hear about? Yeah, I, and I'm, I'm glad you've asked that question because when I'm talking about principles, I'm not talking about principles in the sense of good ideas. Like, um, uh, so for instance, in NLP, we had a bunch of presuppositions like, you know, think of people in a certain way and no failure, only feedback and those sort of things, which are really good ideas to operate by. But when I'm talking about principles, I'm talking about pre-existing facts of life. So when Newton discovered uh, universal gravitation, it was already there. Or when Copernicus figured out that uh, the earth goes around the sun and not the other way around. It was an observation of what was already true about the world. And when, uh, you know, Ignaz Semmelweis discovered that there was a link between germs and infection, like he suddenly saw it. He was like, oh my God, this is how it already works. 
then it took another 60 years before the field of medicine kind of caught up with that. Like, so, so what I'm talking about is something that's already true about life and it's going to sound deceptively simple, but let me lay it out for you and I'll do it as quick as I can. So the way that our perceptions work is it's less like looking out through, uh, through a window or through a camera and it's more like wearing a pair of virtual reality goggles. So data pours in through all our senses and then our minds take a guess at what we think is out there. And so far for all of us, it's a pretty good guess because we're still alive. So it's at least good enough. That guess is at least good enough to navigate in the world. But Everything, even if you like look around the room you're in or wherever you are, everything you can see, hear, and feel, that perception is internally generated based to some degree on data, but it's internally generated. It doesn't look like it's internally generated, right? It just looks like I'm sitting in my room, but, but our experience is internally generated. And this is old neuroscience. Like they figured this out in the 1850s. But here's the thing. What I'm pointing to is that that power to create an internally generated perceptual reality and experience it as an actual reality, that's a power that we have. And that's a principle. And I'm going to call that the principle of thought. And here's, here's where the rubber meets the road. We're always living in the felt experience, in the feeling of thought in the moment. So it genuinely seems to us, Dave, like we're feeling our email inbox or our bank account or our girlfriend or our boyfriend or what happened last week or what we're going to do next month. It seems like we're experiencing that stuff. But actually what we're always experiencing experiencing is that moment-to-moment perceptual process. So I'll give you a really simple example. Little kids, uh, we give them teddy bears when they're little uh, as transitional objects for when they're going to, going to sleep at night. And if the child kind of bonds with the teddy bear or the blanket or whatever, they get feelings of comfort and peace and security when they hold on to it. And if you forget the teddy bear sometime, then they freak out. And it genuinely seems to ch- the child like the feelings of comfort are coming from the bear. And if they're, if they're uh, feeling anxious because it got forgotten in a hotel, they feel like they're feeling the absence of the bear. But actually, all of that's coming from within them. 100% of it is coming from within the psychology of the child. 0% of it is coming from the bear. Like there's no kind of feeling emitter in the bear. The child is experiencing their own psychology. Now, we get that. That's non-controversial. But it looks different when we look at adult teddy bears like, you know, jobs or companies or partners or our physical body, our health or uh, our personality or our future or our past. It can genuinely seem like our, our experience, our feelings are coming from that stuff. But it can't possibly work that way. 100% of it's coming from your psychology, moment to moment to moment. None of it's coming from anywhere else. So that's what I'm suggesting is the kind of the core, 
the the psychological equivalent of the difference between the idea that the sun goes around the earth versus the earth goes around the sun. It only works one way. It's not a 50-50 deal. It works one way all the time. So my assertion is we're living in the feeling of the principle of thought moment to moment, 100% of the time. It often seems like there's more to it than that, but there never is. That's the... Thing. You talked about feelings and you talked about thoughts, but you say we're living in the field of thought, but most of what that kid was feeling, most of what someone's feeling about as a fight with their spouse or whatever else, those are all not thoughts. Those are all feelings. What's the difference between the two? So when I talk about the principle of thought, I'm talking about that ability we each have to create a perceptual experience, like to even see what we're calling the world, that's internally generated. So that power to create a reality or an experiential reality, that's what I'm calling the power of thought. So I'm not talking about the thoughts that are running through your head. I'm talking about your moment-to-moment perceptual experience. So because that's made up, like if you stop and think about it for a moment, you can... You know, one day you can be, uh, you can, I don't know, look at your car and think, oh man, that's a fine automobile. The next day you look at me, you're like, oh man, what a piece of crap. I, I, you know, they, our felt experience isn't telling us about the car because the car doesn't change that much. It's telling you about your mood. So another way of thinking about it is your mood is like a pair of glasses that you're wearing, Okay. And your feelings telling you about the glasses, not about what you're looking at. Well, it's a trick of the mind. So I, I would I would buy that. How does this tie back to mental clarity for people? Great question. The so clarity is our natural state. That's our default setting, you can say. So that's what we're uh, built to revert back to: clarity, peace of mind, connection basics like that resilience the thing that gets in the way of that more reliably than anything else is believing our felt experience is coming from something other than the moment okay so simple example when people uh, i sometimes work with people on fear of public speaking but it's the same whether it's fear of public speaking fear of flying any of those things so the person who's, I had someone talk to me, she said, oh, I'm, do, I'm doing a TED talk in three weeks and I'm just all jittery about it. Like she's all like anxious, anxious. And the closer she got to it, the more anxious she got. So I, I go to, well, where does it seem to you like your experience is coming from? What are those feelings letting you know about it? She's like, well, the talk. I'm like, well, that's not possible. How are the feelings getting from the talk in three weeks from there into you is not possible. There's that would take time machines and stuff. Like you're feeling your own psychology in this moment. None of it's got anything to do with the talk. Now she's like, well, no, I know that it's my thinking, but it's got something to do with the talk. But no, that's what gets in the way of the mental clarity. As soon as we believe we're feeling something other than our moment-to-moment experience, as soon as we believe we're feeling the future, the past, other people, whatever, that gets in the way of our mental clarity. So I used the example of little kids. Happens to them all the time, but they trend back to clarity very, very quickly because little kids haven't yet built 
a model of the world or a game plan for living that has all these ideas about like that it's possible to feel the future kids don't even little kids don't even know that there is the difference between three weeks from now so it's through building that model of the world that model of time that model of how the world works that we start innocently interfering with our own mental clarity so this woman is feeling anxiety that's clearly self-generated it's not intentionally self-generated about a, sure. a talk in three weeks but when she goes on stage when she feels terror walking out that is in the moment so how does mental clarity apply there well it's great example because what you'll often find is the person who's terrified of something whether it's public speaking or anything else before the event many people once they do it they're fine or they get two minutes in and then their head clears well uh, and, the, and the person who gets up on stage and totally freezes, they've got so much on their mind. So if you ask someone who's a, a really comfortable and natural public speaker, what are you thinking about when you're on stage? They'll be kind of like, oh, not much. I'm paying attention to the audience. Uh, I might check in on where I want to go next or listen to something someone's just asked. But they're not thinking about much. You ask someone who's freaked out about public speaking, they're thinking about everything. And they're thinking about, do I, you know, how's this going to work out? What if I forget what to say? Do I look stupid in this? What if I, um, you know, how they're very attentive to how they're feeling. They're the person who's freaked out when they're on stage is someone whose head is clouded with what I call contaminated thinking. And contaminated thinking is just thinking that arises from believing the, wor the world works in a way that it doesn't work. Like, you, it's not possible for them to be feeling uh, the audience or the future when they forget about what to say or anything like that. They're just feeling their psychology in the moment. And the cool thing is, Dave, the moment you glimpse it, like we all lose sight of this, me too, and I've been teaching it for a long time, we all lose sight of it, but the moment you wake up to it, instantly you're back in the present moment. And this is what happens for a lot of people who freak out about uh, public speaking or flights or whatever, and then their head clears once they start because that self-correcting nature of the mind is a built-in capacity that we all have. How do people listening to the show today take this and make it actionable. So let's say a listener has stage fright or they're afraid of flying, any of these other examples. Something that you're going on a date, whatever it is that, that feels like, you know, what if I do something wrong, I'll die. What do you do to get clarity beforehand? Is it just a matter of understanding, oh, this is, this is I'm generating all this, it's not real, even though you're feeling it? Like, like how do you use this? Yeah, yeah. Well, and my answer to that question is yes and no. When you said, is it just a matter of understanding it? There's understanding it, and then there's understanding it. There's getting it like in the muscle. There's understanding it intellectually, which is kind of like saying, I don't really understand it. But there's actually seeing it for yourself. So I've got good news and bad news. The The good news is someone listening to this, this broadcast could hear something in this interview that clears their head and that does something for them on a go-forward basis. Like, they just see the truth of it. It's like, oh, I get it. That's how it works. Uh, the only thing that's going to 
action it for you in a go forward way is your own insight, your own realization of what's already true. So that's, and, and that's a capacity that we all have. Every human being has this capacity for realization because that's how we've learned to do almost everything we've already learned. So that's, that's the good news is that we have that capacity built in. The, the not so encouraging news is you can give me a group of people and I can't predict who's going to glimpse this, see this quicker than the next person. So I'll give you an example. I, I just make these little two minute videos I've been exper experimenting with on Facebook and send them out. And I get this email. For, I did one on anxiety and stress in the workplace. I get an email from this guy called Lloyd, who I've never met. And he said, Jamie, I want to thank you for that two minute video about anxiety you made. He said, I had a heart attack six months ago, and I've been suffering with depression and anxiety and stress ever since. He said, I watched your two-minute video. I, I, I saw something. It's made a positive shift in my life. It's done more, than, more for me than six months of therapy. So the actionable thing is, if, if what I'm saying, even, even if you're kind of like, well, I don't really get what he's saying, but it sounds like he's onto something look in this direction, like look at open. And, and if I was going to give someone a question they could ask themselves, it'd be really simple. Where does it seem to you like your experience is coming from? Now, now Dave, if, like with the guy who's freaking out about going on the date or the, the person who's freaking out about going on stage next week or whatever, if you ask them, where do you believe your your felt experience is coming from. Because in those situations, the thing that gets in people's way, it's all the feelings, it's all the kinesthetics. It's like they feel anxious or their heart's beating too much or whatever. You ask them, where do you believe your experience is coming from? And I guarantee you, it's gonna seem to them like it's coming from the future or the, uh, the consequences of date going badly or what if I don't know what to say or all that, or what if I screw up on stage? So it's going to seem to them like their experience is giving them information about something other than this moment. And that's something to get curious about, because if it's the future, like that's so not possible. Like I know it looks possible, but not a thing. No, no way that that can be happening. So it's, it's kind of to get humbly curious about that. There's uh, a guy named Paul Sarnoff who's done a lot of work on actual physical chronic pain in the body who has a similar perspective. And I know, in fact, a, a former guest on Bulletproof Radio, uh, Steve Omohundro, who's like working on artificial intelligence and global brains, told me about Sarnoff's work maybe 10 years ago. And he said, Dave, I had this chronic pain. I read the book and it went away and it stayed away forever. So... so uh, and I, by the way, I've met dozens of people with that same sort of thing where it was about changing your, your internal story, your, your framing or your reference about the stuff. And you're saying, it sounds like there's a similar thing. The, you know, the, the pain or the fear that you're feeling about some upcoming event, it is internally generated. So just getting that understanding. So it's not a cognitive understanding, but it's more visceral, like a layer down the, the subconscious is a way to gain mental clarity. Am I saying that right? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll go one step further, Dave. What I'm going to suggest is mental clarity is already your default setting. Like you've got that, oh, yeah. this mental self-correcting system built in. So uh, 
like, and it's funny, like culturally, we get it with the body. Like if I, I, if I go and eat some lunch, I'm not going, okay, I, now I've got to sit down and really digest this food. I'm going to work at that. Or if you run up, if you run up a flight of stairs and your heart's beating and your, your lungs are pumping and stuff and you get to the top, as your heart settles down, you, you know that your body's got that handled. So when it comes to our physical body, we kind of trust the, the self-correcting nature of, of our immune system. Whereas when it comes to our psychology, we got we think we it would be better if we got involved. And uh, what I kind of say to a lot of my clients is, you know, keep your fingers out of the machinery. Like you have this self-correcting system. In fact, a lot of times it's our efforts to correct our mind, to make ourselves feel better, feel different, you know, calm down, all that. So often it's those very efforts that are getting in the way of the mind's naturally self-correcting system doing what it does automatically. You've got some interesting perspectives on this. You seem kind of dismissive of meditation and mindfulness and medication, which are sort of the three big technologies that a lot of people use to deal with anxiety or fear or, or any of these like lacks of clarity. So why are you, let's start with meditation mindfulness. What's your take on those? Well, how it looks to me, I, I wouldn't say that I'm dismissive of them. Okay. I would say that medita meditation, I want to draw a distinction between the practice of meditation and the state of meditation. Now, it seems to me that the state of meditation is incredibly valuable. That's one of the most uh, highly valued states for human beings. Um, it's... Uh, a source of um, respite from uh, mental turmoil. It's a source of uh, insights and realizations. And, you know, throughout the ages, the state of meditation has been very highly valued for good reason. And I highly value it too. The practice of, med of meditating, the purpose of meditating is to enter the state of meditation. So it's, a, it's a, an approach, or you could call it a ritual, or a technique, or a practice, with the purpose of entering the state of meditation. And, and right on, if, if someone's listening and uh, they find that the practice of meditating works for them, fantastic, fill your boots. And I've asked literally thousands of people, audiences all over the world, Ask them, when do you get your best ideas? And always the answers are the same. In the shower, when I'm out for a walk, when I'm uh, going on holiday, uh, when I'm driving to work, when I'm, when I'm having a bath, just before I drop off to sleep. Now, some people say, when I'm meditating. Those are the people who are experienced meditators who uh, really value that practice. And for anyone who values it or anyone who wants to give it a try and, you know, go for it. If, if, it, if it works for you, if you have time and space in your life for it, go for it. But what I'm pointing to is that the, the power and the value is in the state of meditation rather than the practice of meditation. And the state of meditation is naturally occurring for human beings and you get to experience it more and more reliably, spontaneously, and effortlessly when you've got less on your mind because you're awake 
to the fact that you're feeling thought in the moment rather than all the stuff you're thinking about. In fact, it's kind of interesting. There's a wonderful book called uh, Anti-Fragile by uh, Nassi Taleb, and he he made a distinction which really landed for me. He talked about the difference between additive approaches where you're just saying, and the idea of an additive, can I, can I tell you a story? Sure, absolutely. So I was working with this client uh, called uh, Ian, and Ian uh, ran a very successful business, but he had hired me. I do these like these three-day CEO intensives. So we get together in a, a, a meeting room in a resort for three days, and I basically... Uh, help them understand this at a deep visceral level to use your terms so Ian hired me because he was stuck he was stuck in his relationships and with his business and uh, uh, just lacking a sense of purpose and that sort of thing so we get together for our first session of the intensive and we made a list of what would be a dream result from the intensive for him so we had problems you know he wanted to solve changes he wanted to make goals he wanted to achieve about 45 minutes into the intensive, he gets anxious and he goes, Jamie, we're going to need a formula for how this is going to work. I'm not loving this. So then I get anxious. I'm like, oh, man, I haven't brought a formula. This is going to be a disaster. So I'm getting all kind of wound up fast, though. And I, it suddenly occurs to me, where do you think your experience is coming from? And I, I woke up to it in that moment. I saw I was feeling thought and not my lack of a formula. So I fall back into the present, fall out of all that thinking. And it came to me right away. I said, okay, here's your formula. You plus a misunderstanding equals stuck. And he's like, whoa, I get it. Yeah, because I didn't used to be stuck. So something's happened. I said, you're going to like the second bit even more. So you see, Ian, when he had been young, he was fun, carefree, spontaneous, creative, funny, enjoyed life, loving and connected. And by the time I met him, he was really serious, you know, furrows in his brow and tense and stressed. And I said, you're going to love the second bit. I said, you minus a misunderstanding equals clarity spontaneity, peace, resilience, love and connection. So he's like, whoa, I get it. And that's what I saw, Dave, was that the clarity model is ruthlessly subtractive. And so what I see is that most of the mind models we see in the world, they're additive. They work on the basis that you plus these habits or routines or tactics or mental interventions equals super you. Okay. That's the basic model. A plus B equals C. U plus interventions equals super you. What I'm suggesting is a subtractive model, which is you minus misunderstandings equals super you. Because I guarantee for everyone listening, you have places in your life where you just hit it. Like you can't put a foot wrong. Everything falls into place. You know what you're doing. And maybe it's as simple as driving your car. You know, you've, you're, you have such a good embodied understanding of the road and the vehicle and the, the nature of driving that you don't even have to think about it. And then there are other areas in your life where you've got a head full of nonsense and it really gets in the way. Well, Anywhere in life where we're close to reality, we do well. Anywhere where we're adrift from reality, we struggle. So, Dave, the, the, 
once again, I got no, no issue with meditation. The state of meditation is incredibly valuable and anyone who enjoys it or is drawn towards it should go for it. You know, fill your boots. Mindfulness and other, other approaches that involve what I call getting your fingers in the machinery. So I, again, if they work for you, if you get good results with them, fill your boots. What I found when I was using those kind of approaches was I had a lot on my mind. Like there was a lot for me to be paying attention to. So I, it made me kind of hypervigilant. Uh, and what I find is a lot of the people I work with who have been through many, what I would call additive approaches, when they find the, the benefits of a subtractive approach, this is why I call this subtractive psychology. When they find the benefits of a subtractive approach, it just, it takes stuff off your mind without you having to do anything about it. So, and, and the thing is, what we find again and again is, and this is going to be no surprise to you, that when people have nothing on their mind, that's when they give their best performances, when they're present and connected in the flow, as Csikszentmihalyi would say. Well, that's an absence of something rather than the presence of something. It's an absence of the things that get in the way of clarity, get in the way of connection, get in the way of flow. A lot of people ask me, you know, Dave, you know, how, how often do you meditate? Do you do it every day? I used to have a daily meditation practice. And I did this for many years, all sorts of different ones. And eventually got to the point, mostly because of neurofeedback. And I, I run 40 years of Zen where you're spending five days figuring out what's going on in there. So you are in the moment. And I sort of feel like a jerk if I say, well, I'm meditating right now. <laughs> like I, I'm in, I'm in that state and it turns out it's a trainable state and it's a mm -hmm. measurable state, but it's one that most of us aren't in. And my experience has been that usually the anxiety comes from old traumas and we have stuff that taught our, our body that something's a threat. That's not a threat. Like giving a talk mm -hmm. at Ted or in a couple of days, I'm going to give a Google talk. I'm not at all worried about the Google talk, right? But I certainly could be. And if I had a voicemail that said, well, if I fail, you know, no one will love me and, you know, they'll think I'm dumb or whatever they told me in seventh grade or wherever an old trauma would have come from. I already edited that thing, but I spent, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars and, you know, 20 years getting into that state where everything that I do is easier now at scale than it was when I was having a much smaller impact. Uh, and it's also a lot less painful. And part of my mission is to help people get there without spending shocking amounts of money or even maybe more wasteful, shocking amounts of time. You know, if you have to spend 40 years of your life meditating for an hour a day to get to this point, well, those 40 years of life kind of sucked because you didn't do all the things you wanted to do. So for someone who's listening to this going, all right, uh, I've heard some things from Jamie that I'm interested in. Like, How do they go about feeling some clarity or some extra focus right now? Well, this is going to sound counterintuitive, but one of, because I love what you said that you said, I'm going to sound like a jerk, but I'm meditating right now. I experience some of my deepest states of meditation when I'm listening to clients and when I'm speaking to, to groups. And so one of the most, one of the simplest ways you can, uh, 
experience your mind's natural self-correcting state is to really listen to someone. Really listen. So I'll, I'll often do when I'm, when I'm doing workshops, because, you know, you know, Dave, if you ask anyone how good a listener are you, everyone rates themselves at at least 8 out of 10, right? Wait, what but were you saying? If, if you no, ask, no, no, I'm just kidding. Like, I wasn't listening. Sorry. I just... <laughs> the old banana in the ear. Um, uh, everyone rates themselves highly, but actually, you go around the business world, most people are horrible listeners because, and, and I get it. I was, I remember actually the, the, uh, when I was first exploring this stuff, one of my coaches said, he goes, you know, I don't get the impression your, you know, your listening skills could do with an upgrade. And at the time I'd done all the NLP stuff so I could like, you know, unpack people's language patterns real time and track all their eye movements and all that sort of stuff. So I was kind of like, Oh yeah, hit me. I'm a ninja listener. I can repeat the last 30 seconds of what you said with all the same gestures and stuff. And so I'm like, Oh, tell me more about how I'm not a good listener. And he goes, well, it seems like when you're listening, you've got a lot on your mind. And he was right. I had a lot on my mind. And I find that when I'm first working with clients, they have a lot on their mind. They're thinking about what they're going to say next or, uh, you know, uh, uh, trying to figure out how what the person they're listening to, how what they're saying fits into the what they think. And there's something really, really powerful when you get people just to listen to someone else without having to think about it, without having to evaluate what they're saying. So deliberately listening to be influenced or listening to connect with them. So if someone's sitting here going, okay, look, I just want, what can I do right now to get a sense of this? I would say, just listen, listen, but without having to it's kind of paradoxical. Listen without having to get anything from it. Because, you know, that thing I said earlier, Dave, that people regularly report that they get their best ideas when they're out for a walk or having a bath or on a plane or whatever. That's because your capacity for insight and realization and clarity, it's built in. You already have it. You already have that clarity within you. And so listening to another person, not just talking about me or you, like to anyone, listen, listen to someone who's, uh, you meet at the, meet at the coffee shop. If you really listen to them without having to, without having to analyze it, without having to make sense of it, without having to action it, it's the, one of the quickest, quickest and easiest ways I've found of helping people find their way to that space of clarity and connection that we all have within us. So that, that's a real quick, easy, actionable one. Oh, by the way, if you're out on a date, if you're freaked out about going on dates, that is the best advice ever. Just really listen. Like every woman <laughs> giving, giving advice to guys, women will always say, listen, be yourself. And th that turns out to be real true. You know, listening is, is a, is a powerful way of pointing you back to the to the to the truth of who you really are because we were all born listeners before we learned to walk and talk we before we learned what words even meant we were listening without an analytical 
uh, perspective on it. The idea there is that if you listen to someone without thinking about what they're saying consciously and without thinking of what you're going to say next, uh, that it puts you in an altered state, basically. And yeah. that is a clarity state. Um, that would make sense. You also described a couple of things where you're in your, your most clear state, where you are working with clients or you're on stage. And both of those are uh, tied to flow states because anytime you're performing an act of service, that's a way to get into a flow state without having to take drugs or you know, do extreme skiing or something like that. And I think that's one of the, the most, one of the most under, uh, under talked about ways of being in a flow state that has the lowest risk of <laughs> all sorts of things going wrong. And this is something that we've been taught not to do in school, right? You're supposed to really focus and pay a lot of attention. You know, the, the teacher is talking, you got to think, think, think. And the idea that you can get a, a felt sense from listening that's different than a cognitive sense. It, it's easy to say words like that, but to develop the skill of not doing what you've been socialized and taught to do in academic settings your entire life, it's, it's not always that easy for people. Is there a hack for that? Is there a way uh, to, to tell someone who's sitting down, all right, I'm going to listen to someone without thinking about what I'm going to say next or what they're going to say next? Uh, to listen in the present moment. How do you go about doing that? Are there steps to it? Yeah, there's a real easy way. And uh, and if you just buddy up with someone and ask them what we might call a deep question, like what do you want or what's important to you or what really matters to you in life or what do you love doing? Anything, any, or, you know, what would you love to explore? Any of those kind of expansive, reflective questions. You explain to them, I'm going to ask you this question, then I just want to listen to what you say without talking. I'm just going to listen, and we'll see what, see what happens. It's just an experiment. You know, maybe I'll listen for five minutes while you talk. Well, just to give yourself permission with, you know, with a friend or a colleague, give yourself permission just to listen to another person without feeling any obligation to to reply to remember what they've said any of that stuff because the cool thing is they often when people are first doing it they're, they're like well what if i don't remember what they've said but you do you remember the important bits so it's really it, that would be an easy hack and that's the hack i do in workshops all the time i just get people to literally listen to another person without having to speak without and for some people, actually, that's the difficult bit is not talking, not asking questions, not saying when they've had that experience. And that's OK, too, because what you find is, like you said, it's just a habit. It's just a habit that we've been conditioned into. We weren't born doing that. It's just a habit. And it's amazing how quickly you can break that habit. Beautiful. If someone came to you tomorrow, Jamie, and said, look, I want to perform better at everything I do as a human being, what are the three most important pieces of advice you'd have for them? You know, I I was listening to some of your other podcasts, so I knew you were going to ask this question. Absolutely. I was reflecting on it. And the first one... Oh, hold on. I got I to gotta stop you right there. Go are, are you telling me that you were really looking at the future and worrying about what you were going to say and planning it ahead? 
I wasn't worrying about it. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> but, but, but no, it's a really good point, actually, because a lot of times, Dave, people hear what I'm saying and they go, oh, so I shouldn't think about the future. No, yeah. it's totally impractical not to think about the future. Right. There's no way we'd be doing this if we didn't think about the future. But believing that our feelings are telling us about the future, that Correct. gets in so many people's way. Just like you said with traumas, believing that our feelings are telling us about the past, not a thing, not possible. But if we believe it, it gets in our way. So the first one, and this is going to be no surprise to you, it's sort of like if we, if we could get in a time machine and go back 200 years, the most valuable thing we could do for the health of humanity is teach them about the fact of germs and the link with infection. That would be more valuable than teaching them to wash their hands or uh, sterilize medical instruments. Just, just getting them to understand how that already works. That's the number one thing. Now, you said if someone wanted to, to kick ass in every area of life, well, if you stop and think about it for a moment, your mind is involved in every single thing you do. There isn't a thing you do in your whole life that isn't being processed through your mind. So the ultimate leverage is to get your understanding of how your mind works more closely aligned to how it already works. You know, Gregory Bateson once said, uh, the biggest problems in the world are the result of the difference between how nature already works and the way people believe it works, the way people think. Well, it looks to me like the biggest challenges in our individual lives are the gap between how our minds already work and the way we believe they work. You know, everybody is a folk psychologist. You know, everyone thinks they know how the mind works, okay? Everyone's got their theories. No one's a folk marine biologist or a, a, a folk mass spectrometer, but everyone's a folk psychologist. But there's a way that your psychology works, and there are a million ways that it doesn't work. And if you can get a, a more principled understanding, a more uh, aligned with reality understanding of how your mind already works, you're going to do better in every aspect of your life. Right, so, so number one is understand how your mind works. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and specifically, the 100% nature of the thought-feeling connection. That's a game changer. Second one... Um, I, I really had to think about this a lot because for me, number one is such a big one that all the rest of them kind of are, are a subset compared to it. Because you see that and that's going to change everything. But if someone really needs a second one, then it's, the second one would be discover what your authentic desires are. Discover what you really like. Because so many of us have been conditioned to think we want this or we want that. You know, I, I heard one of the podcasts you did a while back and we're talking about, you were talking about money and so many people shooting for, I'll be happy when I get the money. And there's no truth to that. I mean, money's useful for buying stuff, but it can't give you a feeling. There's, there's not enough money in the world to give you a feeling. And we kind of know that we, we see the, uh, unhappy lives of, uh, you know, celebrities and that sort of thing. Not all of them. It's just that the money's neutral. It, it can't give you a feeling one way or another. So the second thing I'd say is discover what you really care about, what really matters to you. And that can start with really simple things like finding out what you want to do today or what you want to have for breakfast or what book you want to read rather than just running the whole day on routine and that sort of thing. Like really 
just just ask yourself, get curious. What what do I like? Because the the better you understand yourself and what you like and what you don't like and what matters to you and what's important to you, the easier it is to make great decisions about your life. Decisions that are uh, informed by who you are. You know, we're each one of us is unique, and we all have our own reasons for being here and uh, the more aligned you can get with who you really are, like put on this, who you really are is amazing. And I'm saying that not cause like go team, I believe in you. I'm, I'm saying that because it's true of everyone where we have this source of clarity and creativity and resilience and beauty and love and joy within us. And, uh, I, I would love everyone to discover that for themselves, you know. Beautiful. I, I got to tell you, the moment I saw that this is principles for psychology, it unfolded in front of me. And I, I had a vision of the just like you and I were born into a world where the adults already understood the fact of germs. You know, they already knew it. And, and so we grew up in that world. My vision is of a world where where all the adults already understand the principles behind how our minds work because the first generation of children born into that world is going to be a game changing generation and is going to be up to solving the incredible challenges we've got facing us. Like we've got these incredible technologies. It's truly amazing. And you know, it's always good news, bad news. So uh, I, I'm betting the future on uh, a generation of children who can solve that. And then the third one would be, experiment try stuff out like the old, the thing that stop there's so many people have so many things that they would love to do but they're not doing it because they're afraid of making a mistake or afraid of being criticized or afraid of getting rejected or afraid of failure and you're capable of so much more than you think and and there are things you can discover when you take action and try it out that you're never going to figure out in the privacy of your own head. You know, when you, when you take action, when you do stuff, you get feedback from the real world and we're built for that. We're built for reality. You know, we've, we've evolved over millions of years and we've, we're beautifully adapted to life on this freak show of the planet. It's we're, we're, we're built for this world. We're not built for, what I call la la land. We're not built for a world. Some other. We're built for this one. And when you try stuff out, when you experiment, you get real world feedback. And man, that stuff's good. Real world feedback feeds your soul and gives you really useful basis for decision making. So that would be number three. Jamie, thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio. Where can people find out more about your work? Uh, you can go over to jamiesmart.com. Uh, you can find me in all the usual social places. So Snapchat, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook at jamiesmart.com. So that's jamiesmart.com without the dot. I'm on LinkedIn at jamiesmartclarity. And I put together a, I've got a recording called Instant Clarity for listeners of uh, this show. So if you go over to jamiesmart.com forward slash bulletproof, you can download 
uh, it's like a 20 minute audio just to sort of like kind of like a, a meditation audio for for activating clarity and the first two chapters of my uh, book, The Little Book of Clarity. So all of those are places where you can find me. Beautiful. Thanks, Jamie. Have an awesome day. You too, Dave. Thanks. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.